This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots and Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman, Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. So we just had the first head-to-head debate and once again there was plenty of blue on blue. We had Liz Truss accuse Rishi Sunak of peddling Project Fear. Here's what she had to say. You just mentioned three countries. Do you know what mortgage rates are in the US at the moment? Do you want to use them as an example? Their mortgage rates are almost 50% higher than mortgage rates in this country because they're borrowing so much. I'm, I'm you sorry, this Canada. is Canada actually this is Project has Fear. A... And we had Rishi Sunak accuse Liz Truss of offering a short-term sugar high when it came to her economic plans. Here's what he had to say. That's uh, simply not right. You promised me. almost excuse £40 me. billion pounds of unfunded tax cuts, but... £40 billion pounds more borrowing. That is the, company, the country's credit card. It's our children and grandchildren. Everyone here is that kids. Is, that we're going to have true. to pick up the tab for that. Rishi, that and is not true. there's nothing conservative about Isabel, what did you make of it? It was pretty scratchy at points. Yeah, I thought it was um, both of them were on uh, sugar high or perhaps um, a uh, Mexican Coke high or whatever it is, this drink that Rishi Sunak's particularly keen on. Um, but Rishi Sunak in particular was on a really sort of... Um, Rishi Sunak was in a really offensive mood against Liz Truss. And you can understand that the sort of backdrop to that, which is him trying to make up the uh, the 24 points that he's trailing behind her in, in the poll on who's going to win the leadership contest. But what it ended up being was him sort of interrupting her at high speed constantly, which I'm not sure necessarily worked, even if the questions he was asking her were entirely reasonable, particularly about tax cuts and about who the economists were who were advising her and so on. And um, Liz Trust, meanwhile, we learnt today that she's a fan of Claire's accessories earrings. And I I wondered whether she and indeed Rishi Sunak had been learning from some of the sort of interactions of the teenagers who they were um, shopping alongside, because I, I found it a very sort of teenage debate with particularly the section on their backstories where Truss was asked to justify why she'd attacked Rishi Sunak for going to Winchester College. Sunak got the first applause of the evening for defending uh, his parents for saving up enough money for him to be able to go to Winchester College. Then Truss comes back saying, well, all I was saying, which just reminded me so much of the sort of arguments you hear between teenagers where they're going back over what they said in a previous fight. Fraser, as Isabel just said, you had Rishi Sunak almost in a race against time, um, of course, when it comes to this leadership contest, but also in terms of his pace of talking. Do you think that he got what he wanted from this debate? I'm not sure that he did. Uh, I think he wanted to close the gap with her, and I'm not sure this evening will have done that. He spoke very quickly, and sometimes uh, he was talking like one of these podcasts when you stick it on like 1.5 or 2 times speed accidentally and the person's talking way too fast. He was doing this almost audibly because he feels he's only got a week left really before the um, the postal balance comes out and before he can make his point. But he spoke too quickly. It was often quite um, difficult to work out what he was saying. And she, to my surprise, came across as quite chilled by comparison. 
She got her um, strongest line of applause at the end by saying that she was not the slickest performer in the debate, but she spoke straight. And I think it was a stylistic difference, which he perhaps unwittingly um, succeeded in putting across between the two of them. He did go after her quite a lot, using the word moral quite often, saying it wasn't moral of her to borrow this money, it wasn't moral of her to cut ta- have tax cuts and put it on the children's credit card. But I found that a bit unpersuasive, because he just finished telling us how he was borrowing money to give giveaways of £1,200 to those to help with the cost of living crisis. Even people like me, you and James, Katie, are going to be getting this £400 giveaway, which he's borrowing. And I can't quite see why the same language wouldn't apply to that. If you're borrowing money to give, isn't that going on your, your children's credit card? So um, I'm, I'm a big admirer of Rishi Sunak's, and every time he goes into these debates, I'm always left thinking that he hasn't really done himself justice. And I did feel that a bit tonight. I don't think she deserved to come across as the more assured of the two performers, but she just might have done to the undecided Tory voters. I'm going to give you one last example. I mean, he came up with lots of economic theories as to why her tax cuts were unaffordable. When she was asked to justify it, she said simply, I believe politicians should keep their promises, and we made a manifesto pledge not to raise taxes, therefore we shouldn't. That has got a simplicity to it, which might prove more persuasive than Rishi Sunak's um, critiques. Now, we've just had a snap debate poll come in by opinion, and it has pretty neck and neck when um, 1,000 regular voters were asked to watch the debate and asked who they thought performed best. Rishi Sunak's on 39% and Liz Truss on 38%. James, does that surprise you? I think when the numbers are like that, you know, you can say technically Rishi Sunak's one, but whatever the margin of error on that poll is, you know the drill here. I think what it shows is that that debate, I thought the debate was very, very scratchy at the beginning about the economy. Rishi Sunak going again and again and again on Patrick Minford, who's the economist who Liz Trust cited on the Today programme in support of her plans last week, having said that interest rates need to go up to 7%. I mean, he actually said between 5 and 7%. And I thought it was a, a sign of the debate that it was only actually weirdly enough when the debate moved on to Nadine Doris's attack on Rishi Sunak this morning, but it, that it actually, they seemed to, it seemed to make them remember that they were in the same party and they, that they needed to, that they are going to need to come back together at, at the end of this, when this election is over. And I think the, kind of, the big question is, how does this debate now play out into the rest of the campaign? Does the rest of the campaign move on to this question of whether or not the, the implications of monetary policy are of the kind of fiscal loosening that Liz Truss is talking about? Or you know, does, it, does it carry on cycling through other things? I think one other thing to watch for as well, there is an interesting disconnect, I think, between what Liz Truss said on stage tonight, saying that she would like Richard Sunak and her cabinet if she were to win, and a very, very aggressive quote from her statesman, uh, from her spokesman, uh, issued during the debate, saying that, um, that Richard Sunak was not fit for office. I think that will be one of the post-debate talking points. Fraser, looking at that snap poll now, of course we shouldn't read too much from one poll, but if Rishi Sunak is just ahead by 1%, even though he's technically ahead, that's a bad result for Rishi Sunak, isn't it? 
Well, the YouGov poll says that Liz Truss is ahead by two votes to one. That's an absolutely massive margin. I've got grave doubts about the accuracy of these polling of the Tory membership group, whose size is, is generally unknown. But he needs to be winning almost every one of these encounters if he's going to take the prize here. We could be in a situation where a week today, most Tory party members have already sent off their vote. And therefore, the race is now will be in its dregs. So that means he's got what well, he had tonight. He's got the Sun debate on Tuesday. And then, perhaps to his advantage, he's agreed to do the Andrew Neil debate on Friday, where Liz Truss has not. Now, I think that sort of thing should make Tory party members think twice. Because if you're going to be prime minister, you'll be in situations a lot more terrifying than being in a chair opposite Andrew Neil. And and these debates, uh, I think they're you know, they're frustrating sometimes because the candidates remember their little soundbite answers like pull string dolls, and they don't really get into much of their thinking. They don't really have the weaknesses exposed. Um, an Andrew Neil interview or sit, sit down and interview anybody for half an hour or an hour really would uh, give people a far better idea of what lies behind the soundbites. Rishi Sunak has decided to put himself up for that scrutiny. List Trust hasn't. So he has got quite a lot more to play for this week. But as you say, Katie, he needs big wins right now. And it doesn't seem as if he got that tonight. And James, you mentioned uh, the fact that they were both saying that they would offer each other jobs in their cabinet. But as every day goes on, it feels that that is uh, more improbable, at least how it work in practice. Did, did we learn anything new from this debate? Was there anything new other than the job offers? I mean, it was fairly policy light, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, I suppose what we did learn in a way is, I don't think either candidate brought a new policy to the debate. I think we learned something about a question about what, I thought was interesting that, that basically... Liz Truss kept saying that everyone has to take more risks and be bolder. That was the quality she said Rishi Sunak should work on. And I mean, kind of, I suppose the big question is, what, what, what risks are we going to see the two candidates take, as Fraser said, in the remaining week before these ballot papers start landing on people's doormats? I mean, that is one of the big questions. And I think we will, we will see... How, I mean, I think one of the things I, I think is funny about these debates is Often it is, I remember covering the US presidential election back in 2004, and John Kerry was widely regarded to have very comfortably won the first debate, and that's what the polls suggested. But John Kerry had issued this phrase, he said, you know, there should be a global test that the United States has to pass before it went to war. And that actually turned out to be one of the phrases that ended up costing him the election. So sometimes it can be something that jumps out of this debate that we're not immediately talking about now, but that comes to gather uh, importance in the, in, the, in the days and weeks to come. And Fraser, on that, when, when we, I suppose, start to break down the various barbs exchange, now, Rishi Sunak, I think you watched the entire hour, came across as pretty aggressive, and we're seeing now supporters of Liz Truss. I mean, some anonymous saying he's not fit for office, but Therese Coffey, one of her, uh, her backers, um, has just said on, on air that she thought it was approaching mansplaining. But do you think some of this will stick? So one one point I thought was quite interesting was when Rashida kept bringing up what Liz Truss's economist of choice from an interview had said about interest rates. Can you tell us about that exchange where you think it will be damaging for her? 
This is to do with um, Patrick Minford, who is the economist who Liz Truss mentioned when she was asked which economists back what you're doing. Now, that doesn't mean to say he's her economic advisor, as Rishi Sunak repeatedly, and I think falsely, claimed. Now, Minford um, has triggered a lot of um, economic commentators. His very name sends him into apoplexy. So they, they called him, I think he told the Times that he thinks interest rates should be 7%. And Rishi Sunak took that to mean that Liz Truss would put interest rates up at 7%. Now, I was quite surprised that he did that, because he will know that's just stretching the truth until the elastic snaps. I mean, the Prime Minister doesn't set for interest rates. The Bank of England does that. And he was also stretching the truth when he said that debt was was going down. It's not. It's going up. Um, so I think there he opened. He, Liz Trust could have said to him, look, that's not true. You're making it up. He's not my advisor. And by the way, debt isn't going down. But she didn't take the chance to counterattack him. At the time, I thought there was a missed opportunity on her part. But at the end of the debate, I think it probably served her well that she didn't engage on those rapid-fire points, which I think would have gone over the heads of those Tory party members who aren't following every twist and turn of this and who don't know um, what Patrick Minford is or who he stands for. And I think Rishi Sunak is quite lucky for the lack of attention too, because they might wonder why he was who stands and supposes repeatedly as a candidate to honesty was being dishonest when he said that Patrick Minford was her advisor. So it's a very strange, I think what they demonstrated was just simply how he was willing to go for her again and again and again. And ultimately, I think she succeeded in rising above it. Now, had she been on the other end of Andrew Neil's interview chair, he would have then picked her apart and I think would have fairly quickly found out there's not very much behind this policy of hers. But I think the this evening showed the limitation of this form of um, discussion. And James, we're talking about how Rishi Sunak was looking for a breakthrough moment. It's not immediately clear that he has got that tonight. We have the Talk TV Sun debate tomorrow. What do you think could actually move the dial for him or is he really running out of time? So I think the question is whether whether his approach tonight succeeds in getting this, this interest rate question talked about. Because the, the, the Liz Truss economic plan at the moment, at first blush, the negative side of it is unspoken. But looser fiscal policy of the sort she is proposing will inevitably lead to considerably tighter monetary policy. And I think if the debate moves there, I think people might have some concerns about interest rates going up by the kind of scale and level that the kind of fiscal loosening that she is talking about would lead to. Uh, I mean, that might be something that changes debates. I also just think, you know, that, that, there, that there are these other debates. And I think the other big question is whether Tory members vote straight away when they get their ballot papers, or whether they choose to wait and watch a bit more of the campaign before they do so. James, I think I'm right in saying that about half of Tory members are expected to vote by return of post, and about half aren't. Is that the expectation? That is historically what has happened in some previous contests. But talking to some MPs today, there was a sense that, in part because of the timing in August, that they think that there and also a certain discombobulation among Tory members who hadn't been kind of planning for this leadership contest for ages, but, but that the, the return rate might be slightly slower. 
And and Fraser, just on this trust's economic point, she she did successfully make the point, did she not, that the UK was an outlier in raising tax right now. Uh, well, that wasn't really her. That was one of the um, chair's questions to Rishi Sunak. Can you name another country in the developed world that is putting up taxes right now? Remember, he's proposing to hike corporation tax from 19% to 25%. That's quite a big point. He wasn't able to name any other country who's is doing that. And this, again, is why I think this election has fallen at a rather difficult time for Rishi Sunak. It's come straight after his national insurance hike, straight before his planned corporation tax cuts. And it was difficult for him to for him to resolve from either of these, given that he thought they were necessary and still thinks they're necessary to finance um, Boris Johnson's spending, spending which, as Chancellor, he would not have authorised. Now, he is unable to really say that if he was a prime minister for the last two years, the extra spending wouldn't have happened, and therefore the tax rises wouldn't have happened either. And that's why, again, I think his case, as I understand it, is more credible than the one that he's making himself, because he's not really able to say that he was fighting. He he had been quite brave. He'd fight. He's fought against lockdown. He'd fought as much as he could against Boris's extra spending. He went very close to resigning several times. I think he has shown a lot of moral courage as Chancellor, but in a way, but because also because of, of his decency and of the way that job is constructed, he had to have his battles in complete secret, and even now he won't talk about them. So there is more, a lot more to Rishi Sunak than meets the eye right now and meets from the debate. But if you can't get it across from the debate, then it will be rather academic. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening. A Spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited.